that it would be effective for what is needed. And Lord, may your hands be upon the hands of the surgeon and just pray that you would heal him. I also pray for Dwight's son, Jeff, and just pray that he would travel safely and just bring a blessing to this family. Lord, I lift up Rosie's mother and just pray for this wound. And I know she's gotten some improper treatment. And just pray, Father, that whatever is necessary, that we would see it come into her life, Lord, and you would bring a full healing. Lord, I thank you for Lori and Eric and their family, Lord, and just the blessing that they are. I thank you, Father, that you have gotten Lori past these tests. And, Father, just see the fulfillment of your calling in her life. And so continue, Lord, to use her, bless her, and may this be a mission field before her. And lastly, I lift up Suzanne's um, granddaughter and and uh, great-grandson Ashley and Jonas and pray that they do travel well. Pray that you would be their strength and that you would heal them quickly. And so, Father, again, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. But right now, we just pray for what you want to do through the study of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we've arrived here. Basically, it's kind of funny that we celebrate Christmas and um, in the midst of celebrating Christmas, we've had teachings on Easter. <laughs> and what I mean by Easter is the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord. Here we have in Mark, the Lord is just before his time of the cross. Um, on uh, our men's study on Wednesday mornings in 1 Corinthians, we were looking at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the day after Christmas. But hey, without one or the other, then we're still lost in our sins. And so what is coming to pass here is exactly what the Lord said would come to pass. Jesus said it would happen before it happened. Is also prophesied in the Old Testament, but in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Jesus said that he would be betrayed into the hands of men. And so we see this process starting even in our study tonight. We are told in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. We saw, I think it was on Christmas Day, what's in a name? Well, Jesus Christ or Jesus Messiah, both of those words, the definition is anointed one. Now, the Lord had told us of the signs of his second coming that's going to come. He is going to come with power and great glory. But before power and great glory, there's the cross, humble, submissive sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, who spoke all that is in existence into existence simply through his word. He's God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. But man, sinful men, are going to hang him upon the cross. Because, 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 because God is just, a price had to be paid for sin. You could not pay the price for your sin. In theory, the picture would be, you'd have to be nailed to a cross, and you would have to be nailed to a cross for all eternity. It's just simply a price that you cannot pay. But because the Lord was without sin, he is able to pay the price for all of us. And so what we are looking at as we are headed towards the cross in this section of Scripture are four interactions that the Lord had with four different people. Last week we saw Mary in a humble anointing. Today we'll look at Judas in a horrible betrayal. Next we'll see Peter in a human failure. And lastly, the religious community in a hopeless act. Last week we saw the results of spending time at the feet of Jesus. We do so, we spend time at the feet of the Lord as we pray, as we study God's word, and we receive what he has. 
Now, notice the Lord went to great lengths to separate serving from sitting at his feet, as we saw the story of Martha and Mary. Martha was serving and she was frustrated. Mary was perfectly content as she was seated at the feet of the Lord. We saw in our study in chapter 14 here, verse 3, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it out on his head. As it was poured on his head, we know that it went to his feet because in other accounts we have Mary bowing down before him and even cleaning his feet with his hair with her hair verse 8 she has done what she could she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial as surely I say to you wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her and as I pointed out last week, it's still being told as a memorial to her, and it will throughout the church age. And again, the idea as the cross is upon the horizon, there's this rich picture of the Lord being anointed for his death upon the cross. But once again, we looked at Mary, as we'll be looking at Judas today, but we saw Mary, and we saw Mary in her passion to hear and to learn from the Lord. And because she had that passion to do so, because we see some rich teaching as the Lord is teaching the disciples, but they're never really getting it. He's told them about his, his crucifixion and his resurrection, but they're more concerned who's going to be the greatest. But then we have this humble woman who is seated at the feet in that position of hearing and learning, and she so seems to get it. She seems to be the only one that really understands his death. And because of that, she is able to truly worship him. She does so by giving up her glory. Again, that was that picture of her surrendering her glory through her hair and, and, and wiping the Lord's feet. Of her substance, it's very costly, oil of spikenard. We saw that could have been a dowry, but at least an investment. And also her future, and that investment might have been what she was planning to live upon. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Mary was rewarded. Her faith was rewarded by great hope. Great hope is rewarded by one day being into the presence, coming into the presence of the Lord. Now we have the opposite of it. We have the antithesis of Mary and Judas. We're going to look at Judas in this horrible betrayal. We're going to see the Passover. We're not going to focus on the Passover tonight. We're going to focus upon those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. So verses 4 through 7. But there were some who were indignant amongst themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whatever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. Looking over at verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And then turning to the end of the chapter, verses 43 through 46. It says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. 
now his betrayer, had given a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. So again, Judas, Judas, we see the other side of the coin, a direct contrast to Mary. Judas is the anti-type of Mary. What did Mary do? Mary gave of her substance. Judas, he was concerned with gathering. We're told that Judas was the instigator. And why was this money wasted when it could have been given to the poor? And actually the poor person he was concerned about was himself because we're told in the Gospel of John chapter 12, I believe it's in verse 4, that he had the money box and he was stealing from the money box. So where Mary gave of her substance, he was concerned with gathering. Mary's worship is sacrificial. His is selfish. Well, remember the name Judas, what does it mean? It means worship. It means worship. So the one who is named worship, his worship is empty. Mary, Mary's was sacrificial. Mary gives, Judas, Judas robs. Mary's worship, 300 denarii. Judas would would later sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, about 120 denarii. Notice one was a taker and the other was a giver. And so we must consider ourselves. Who do we best fall in line with? Are we content with sitting at the feet of the Lord and learning the, the word of the Lord and the ways of the Lord? And as far as worshiping the Lord, do we have an open heart to worship the Lord? Are we concerned with God and loving God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind to think of others more highly than we even think of ourselves? Or are we concerned about ourselves? You're either one or the other in God's kingdom. And as I pointed out so many times, if you come to the church, doesn't matter what church, if you come to a church, a true church that teaches the word of God, and your mindset is to take, you'll leave frustrated. But if you come to a church and you give and you have the mindset to give, then I guarantee you, you're going to leave that place filled. We give in our service, we give in our worship, and we give in our offering. But unless we have a heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord, with the knowledge of who the Lord is, all of those things are useless. Anybody can stand and sing a song. Anybody can put money in the agape box. Anybody can go and teach kids or whatever it might be. But it's all about the heart with which we do those things in. And that's what we see Mary when her heart was broken open by the service that she rendered and the humility that she had. Judas, his heart was broken open for the purpose of our viewing and we see how dark it truly was. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Sowing would be casting seeds. Whoever casts a lot of seeds will reap a lot. There will be a lot that grows. But he who casts few seeds will also reap um, very little. So each one gives as he purposes in his, how, his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have in all, sufficiently, all fish, sufficiency All sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So once again, the subject there is given, but it extends to so many other forms of our worship, is do so with all that I am, with all of my heart, so that, well, you'll have another chance as far as worship when the girls come up and lead us in a a, a last song. And, and, And have the proper perspective of that. The last song doesn't just mean you get to go home. 
doesn't mean that I finally finished and stopped talking and now we can go and, and have some of the stew that looks like it's cooking in the pot in the hospitality area. I usually go check that out to make sure everything's good. <clears throat> but truly understand that that's an opportunity to worship your God, to worship the one who gave so much for you, to worship your God, to anoint him as Lord in your life. To anoint him as the one who made that sacrifice, who washed your soul clean of all of your sins. To anoint your God as Lord, truly, of all of your life, the one whom you receive instruction from and the one whom you're obedient to. And also learn to do those things with a joyful heart. Understand that it's God who you are serving and you're doing so because he has set you free. I wonder how many of us, myself included, if I asked you to list all the presents you got this Christmas, could you remember every single one of them? And it was only a couple of days ago. Could you remember every single, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right, so-and-so gave me that, and oh, I know I got one other thing, whatever it might be, but here's the gift that continues to give through every living day of our life, and not just that, but also extends into eternity. It's that which you may have joy for a gift certificate you got, some clothes you got, whatever it might have been, but how much joyful should we be have for the great gift in which our Lord has given us? And so the last words of Jesus concerning the giver, concerning uh, his verbiage towards Mary, again, verse 9, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus' last words concerning the taker, they were a reflection of Judas's heart. Judas was basically referred to Mary's worship of Jesus as a waste. Well, Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 12, his last words directed at Judas, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Do you know what perdition means? It means waste. Judas considered Mary and what she did to be wasteful, but Jesus looked at the heart of this man. No, you're the one who is wasteful because you wasted your opportunity for salvation. I entitled this study, What a Waste, you know, based upon what we're looking at. And uh, Eric, when he uh, posted on Facebook, you know, when it goes out, the title's on there and it says, What a Waste. And my son texts me and goes, Is that title right? <laughs> Is that supposed to be there? Well, it, it unfortunately speaks volumes of what we're looking at here tonight. And so this waste, it adds insight into what I just read in verse 45. You know the event where Judas kissed the face of Jesus. Matter of fact, the verbiage lends toward, it wasn't just a peck on a cheek, but it was a continuous, he continuously kissed the cheek of Jesus. Again, the name Judas simply means worship or praise. And so we need to consider this when we're singing, when we're giving, when we're serving. Am I rendering worship to my Lord with all of my heart, or am I just going through the motions? Just going through the motions. How many times have you driven home, and I'll just use the example because I do it every day, from church, and you're thinking, did I stop at that stop sign? Or, Or you're halfway home and you can't, oh, I'm halfway home already. I don't even remember what I just did. You know, did I... Run somebody, you know, I have no idea what I just did. You know, just because it's, you've fallen into the routine and you're just going through the motions. That'd be so sad if we came to church and left church and, oh, yeah, we were at church today. Well, it was, I, I don't know what was taught. I, I don't know. I just didn't really pay attention. 
And it can be so easy to do. We need to do these things with all of our heart. Again, so when the worship, it's not about a favorite song. It's about every song. We go through the songs and make sure that they're directed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The rhythm or the melody may not be favorable to you, but it's all about the verbiage and the words that you're singing and the words that, not that they sing to you, but they're leading you so that you sing them and you sing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as putting money in the box, you're putting money in the box ought not to just be putting money in the box, but you ought to be concerned about your worship to the Lord and the giving that you give not about 10% or 5% or whatever it might be, just an expression of your heart of appreciation and adoration for the Lord Jesus Christ. In our service, we need to serve the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might again. So a personal heart check. Is your worship wasted because of a hardened heart or maybe even a heart of routine? Are you a giver or are you a taker? Matthew sixteen twenty six. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? What will it profit us if we gain everything else but we miss out on this intimacy with our Lord? What, what, will, what will it profit us if, if we find success in every other aspect of our life but we fail in our relationship with Jesus Christ? And Verse 8 here, we are told concerning Mary, Jesus said, she has done what she could. And the idea is she's done what was expected of her. And, and this just had to be the Lord laying these things upon her heart. I don't think God said, do this, do this, and do this. But it was just how God lays things upon our heart. And our worship is, again, just an expression of who he is. For her, now look at the advantage that we have. For her, it was what he was about to do. For us, it's what he has done. He's about to pay the price for her sins, but he hasn't done it yet. And still there's that adoration towards him. How much more so us as we understand these things that have been done and the magnitude of these things that have been done for us. And so you must consider what are you able to do and are you doing it? What are you able to do in the kingdom of God and are you doing what you're able to do in the kingdom of God? Because everybody is able to do something. God does not expect you to do everything but he does expect you to do something. Not sure what God wants you to do? If you do what you know, then I guarantee you, you will know what to do. If you do what you know, what you believe God's leading you to, then you will know exactly what he wants of you. But you have to enter in, you have to make the effort. So many people, yeah, I'm praying about this, and I know people have been praying about this for 20 years, and they just never do anything. God doesn't honor that. I know some people that get involved right away, and it wasn't really the ministry God's called them to, but God has directed them to where they needed to be. I mean, when I first got saved, I got involved in ministry. And one night, my wife told me that she signed us up for children's ministry, and I don't want to do children's ministry. But that's what God wanted me to do. And it wasn't because my wife told me, but it's just what God, how God worked it out. And I found a contentment in the midst of it. And so we've got to be of that mindset that God has called us to be servants. That's why Jesus set that example, one of the last he did in John chapter 13, when he washed the disciples' feet.
Verse 12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, And surely I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. So these things were prophesied. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Can you imagine if that would be your testimony? And that's not just your testimony that others think. This is what God is saying about you. It would have been better for you if you had never been born. And so whatever it is that we have done contrary to Christ, we thank God for his grace and the opportunity to repent and to get right with him. The problem with Judas, why was he so considered to be a waste? Because he had a hardened heart and he refused to repent couple of things that I want to see here again in verse 18 now as they sat and ate Jesus said uh, Jesus said and surely I say to you one of you who eats with me will betray me now in a parallel account in John chapter um, 13 verse 21 it says he Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he said most surely I say to you one of you will betray me I want to look at that he was troubled in his spirit Now, his spirit just means his personality. It's how when we get troubled about something, Jesus was troubled. And the context here is Judas and who Judas was. Jesus wasn't happy that this man was going to die. He wasn't ecstatic that he was going to be judged. He wasn't seeking revenge on this man, but it broke the heart of the Lord. He was troubled. And so, behold the betrayer. Looking at the betrayer, Two other times in scriptures we've seen the troubled heart of the Lord. First was in John chapter 11, verse 33, when Mary was weeping and Jesus, it says, groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he was troubled at the death and the effects of sin and it broke God's heart because God created mankind to not die, to live forever. But mankind, because sin entered in, so did death. And he saw the despair of death and, and, and how it affected Mary. His friend Lazarus was dead. And this troubles the heart of the Lord. In John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. What troubled, what else troubled the heart of the Lord? Well, that was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was about to take the sins of the world upon him. Now, this was to be a glorious thing. We're told in Hebrews, this was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. But nonetheless, that's why he was in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating bullets. Why was he doing that? Because the first time he understood that when the cross came, and it wasn't the scourging, wasn't the piercing, it wasn't the death, it was the taking on upon sin of himself, or our sins upon himself. 
It was the knowledge that God, for the very first time in all of history, now consider history in relationship to Jesus Christ, on that day of his death, his history was eternity past. My history goes back to December 6, 1957. His history goes back to eternity past. So so I, I can't explain that to you in detail. You'll just have to receive it of yourself and think it through. But for the very first time, Jesus is going to experience the effect of sin. It's why upon the cross, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is experiencing for the very first time, and this is an absolute miracle, the separation from God. He is God. He set aside some of his godly attributes, we're told, in Philippians chapter 2, but he's experiencing the effects of sin for the very first time. That troubled the heart of the Lord. And now we have here the third instance of a troubled heart of Jesus Christ. The troubling of his heart comes from the heart of the one who rejects him. We're told in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 10 through 11, Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus was to derive no pleasure from the death of Judas or the judgment of Judas. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? And so Judas, this man who spent three years gathering the riches of heaven from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember on the road to to Emmaus, those two disciples that didn't know it was Jesus but walked with them? They said afterwards, didn't our hearts burn within us. The the Jews were amazed that this man spoke. Jesus spoke with such authority. This is the word of God coming from the mouth of God. But here's Judas who spent those three years and he was willing to sell them all for 30 pieces of silver. And it's just kind of an amazing thing when you really think about that, the depths to which his rejection of Jesus Christ came. Now, from Jesus' perspective, obviously, he understands the grace that was available to Judas. But nonetheless, that hard heart caused him to betray the Lord. I pointed out many times, but in the book of Revelation, you see those who are experiencing these great cataclysmic events and all the upheaval that's going on, and as all they have to do is repent. But what do they do? They continue to curse God. And you just see the hard-heartedness of man and how, well, the depths to which it can go. And Jesus said in Mark eight thirty-eight, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him... The Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Why is Jesus' heart troubled for the Judases of the world? Ever be troubled because your witness was rejected by a loved one? Ever mourn because somebody you loved refused the Lord Jesus Christ? Salvation process is twofold. There's the preaching of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that person needs to be open to both. But we have been called to preach that word. And it's a hard thing when you preach the word to somebody you love. And you can see, especially when they're just simply on the cusp of receiving it, but yet they still refuse it. And so Judas, Judas heard those words of the Lord, but refused them. 
Mark chapter 3, verse 29. And this is really what's going on here with Judas. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. This happened with Judas, and the Lord's heart was troubled. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to ignore the Holy Spirit as the word of God is being spoken, those who aren't saved, and as they're ignoring the salvation message, they die in their sins. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and they stand before a holy God in an unsaved state. Another reason the Lord's heart is troubled for the lost, Jesus knows the hardness of an unbeliever's heart as only God can. Later on, we see it in John, as I pointed out, 13. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and he washed Judas's feet as well, knowing Judas's heart was hard. We wash those who have hard hearts because it's only God who knows who is truly open to his leading and who's not. See, we can't judge man from the exterior. God knew, Jesus knew the hardness of Judas's heart, but nonetheless, he still ministered to him as he ministered to the others. We don't have that advantage of knowing the heart of people. And so we minister to all the same. And as God's not a respecter of a person, we're not to be a respecter of persons. It can be hard, though. But look at this contrast. You see that there's who measure up to our standards. Judas was part of the 12. If you looked at Judas, man, the Lord trust him with the money. And, and, and there he was, he sat in all these, this guy must be a really godly guy. Well, he was anything but that. Matter of fact, that's why he's called the son of perdition, because he wasted all of that. But then you look at Peter. Peter's a fisherman, maybe not very desirable, doesn't necessarily measure up to our standards, but he measured up to God's standards, and God used him in amazing ways. We can so look at the outside package, but we'll never be able to see the heart. But as far as those who are apart from God, We need to be of the mindset we minister to all, from the least desirable to the most desirable, because ultimately it's God who looks through and sees the heart and understands if that person has repented and gotten right with him. The last thing that troubled the Lord's heart concerning Judas, again, for three years, he poured into this man's life only to have it rejected and Judas betray him. But Jesus did not betray Judas on the cross. He died for all of mankind. As Jesus was upon that cross, he was dying for the Judases of the world, even knowing that they would reject him. But nonetheless, it was those who would be right with God. It made it all worthwhile. For God so loved the world. When God so loved the world, he loves the unbelievers and the believers, or those who would be lost and those who would be saved, that he gave his only begotten son. So because God loved the world that was filled with those who would be saved, and wouldn't he gave of his only only begotten Son, that whoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Then we see the contrast of the betrayer and the one whom Jesus loves. This picture does not appear here in Mark. It appears in John. But we see as they're partaking of the Lord's Supper, of that Last Supper together. And what they would do is they would have a low table and it was customary to for man that is a group of men in this particular case that were dining at that table, they would lay on their left arm and they would use their right arm for dipping bread and for eating and whatnot. Now we knew we know that the Apostle John the Apostle John had his we're told this in John, had his head upon the chest of the Lord. He was looking up into the Lord and speaking into the eyes of glory, really. And so that tells me that 
if Jesus was truly laying on his side and, and uh, uh, supporting himself with his arm, then John was on his right hand. Tradition tells us that Judas was on his left. And, and you have this picture of John. John calls himself, nobody else refers to him that way, but John calls himself the one whom the Lord loves. And that's just because he experienced the love of Christ. I believe it's because John, we know this is a fact, that John was the only one of them at the cross of Christ who looked up into the eyes of Jesus as he hung upon that cross. And he experienced firsthand that sacrificial death of the Lord and considered himself, man, the magnitude of love that was just raining down upon him. God loves me as he could love nobody else. Well, he, he was just personalizing it. But here he is, he's laying with his head upon the Lord's chest and experiencing the love of God. Now, again, this is typology, and so you can do with it what you want. But Judas being on his left, he's kind of pushed away from the Lord. And and, and again, you need to see this because it really does illustrate the point. The Lord's leaning in towards Judas, but Judas is leaning away from the Lord. And is all he had to do is all he had to do was to turn to the Lord, to turn from his ways and to turn to the Lord. It was tradition that the honored guest would be seated on the right hand and the intimate guest would be seated upon the left. Intimate guest is because the Lord had such desires for Judas, but Judas broke the heart of the Lord. John is in the position of asking and hearing. Judas is in the position of rejecting and turning away. And then John chapter 13, verse 30, after the meal is over. (coughs) Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. The betrayer, betrayer, he walked out into outer darkness. And again, just such a rich picture. Jesus placed Judas in a position of honor and respect as this intimate guest. Judas rejected that position for another. He rejected that marvelous light that he had. For outer darkness. In John three nineteen, we're told, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. He wanted that darkness because he had evil within his heart and upon his mind. That closing picture, Judas going away from Jesus into outer darkness, seeking according to his own way, wasting everything that he had available to him. Back in March 14, verse 21, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good that that man had never been born. One last thing concerning Judas. What was Judas's father's name? Judas's father's name, we're told in John chapter 12, verse 4, is Simon. He's the son of Simon. It's interesting the way that is presented because where are they here having this this get-together where Mary washes his feet and the oil is poured and all of that? They're at the home of Simon the leper. Now, this may not play out this way, so you just need to take it or leave it, but it's just the way they, they insert Simon. It's as if you know who Simon is. Well, they say they were here and they were at Simon the leper's house. And then they refer to Judas later on. There's Judas, the son of Simon. And I just think, now I can back this up, that Judas did experience all the miracles, for the majority of the miracles that the Lord Lord worked. But what if, 
What if he was the son of Simon the leper? Because as I pointed out last week, Simon the leper was really Simon who was formerly a leper. Because if he was Simon the leper, keep in mind, Jesus never broke the law. He would not be able to be in this town, Bethany, and they would not be able to be in his house because they were required to isolate themselves. So I really believe that the Lord and the only people that we see healed of leprosy were those who God touches. I believe that this man was touched by the Lord Jesus Christ and healed. And again, that would just show you the depths of the lostness and the hardness of heart of Judas, if that would truly be. I mean, just the miracles themselves would lend towards the depth of the hardness of his heart. But we see this man Judas, this man Judas, he was truly a man of waste. But think of it. He's just as big as waste as people who've sat in Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and sat there with a hard heart and never invited the Lord Jesus Christ in. Just a bigger way, so those people have heard the gospel message but refused to truly submit themselves to it. Just a bigger waste that they think that they're right with God just because they're associated with God or God's people somehow, some way, but not based upon God's terms, but their own terms. There's such a waste because, again, there's that which is necessary for eternal life, but they've refused it. We would all do well to take inventory of our lives. Have we truly submitted and entered into all that God has for us? To not do so would truly be a waste. As far as the name of Judas, we're told in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. And unfortunately, Judas's name, it rots in our hearts. It was just that name that means praise was just such a waste. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, for your word, and we thank you for the beauty of it. We thank you, Lord, how we're able to compare Scripture with Scripture and just get this message, Lord, that you have for us and this message that you have and you want to work through us. And so, Lord, we just thank you, God, that you have given us this day. I thank you, Lord, for just the past days, just to be able to celebrate Christmas and 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 your birth. But, Father, your birth didn't mean anything without your death. And it's your death that means everything. And so, Father, we just thank you, God, that you have brought us into your kingdom, that our lives are not a waste, that, Father, you value Judas, and even as you value the one who you knew would betray you, you value us as well. And so, Father, we just thank you for this evening once more. Just pray, God, that we would give you glory in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all stand, please. Well, as cold as it is outside, we have a hot meal for you out in the fellowship area, so you're welcome to partake of that. Sunday morning, we are going to be having our prophecy update. It's just I go through scripture and the scriptural view of prophecies. I don't make any wild guesses or accusations or anything, but just uh, a level-headed look at what's going on in the world. There's even some things that we looked at a couple of years ago that, wow, this is one of the things that are leading towards end times, but now it's been done away with this particular, and I'll get into it Sunday morning, so you have to show up Sunday morning if you want to know what I'm talking about. But again, it's fluid. Why? Because they're birth pangs. Birth kings come and birth pangs go. And so just our, our prophecy update is just to be reminded of things, just to view the world situation and the direction things are heading in. And um, sometimes these birth pangs increase and sometimes they decrease. And it's just very interesting how the Lord's working all these things out. God bless you guys.
Let's go out and share who God is.